0: Okay, so I'm going to put a little disclaimer on the beginning of this episode. Um, First things first, um, I know it's been a while since I've posted. I'm still working on getting my equipment fixed. Um, And you'll notice the sound quality is a little different. Um, I'm recording on better equipment right now. Um, But yes, I am still working through some technical difficulties. So thank you so much for being super patient. The other thing that I really want to stress before going into this episode, without spoiling anything, Every now and again, my episodes kind of deal in the lines of, you know, mm, possible like sexual assault situations and self-harm. This is going to be one of those episodes. And if that's something that, you know, triggers you or something that you don't want to hear, please, please, please skip this. Okay. I wasn't. You know, out of control, screaming, sobbing. I was just really kind of chill. I felt like some of my emotional circuits were just shocked or maybe calloused. There, there were moments where, you know, I would cry about it. Mainly at night when I was home alone, um, in bed alone, with the lights out. There were other times, um, once when it got really difficult in the midday. It got really hard to, because I would expect him to show up. My brain hadn't caught up with reality, and I would just expect him to be there. And sometimes I would, I'm telling you, like, I would look, and it would be him, and my, you know, butterflies would explode all around me, and I would become nervous and flush and then I'd look again and it was somebody who didn't resemble him at all. I used to walk up, I used to, I sometimes walk up to his building and I take the elevator up to his office and I just stare at the glass. I don't know what I expect to see. The office is still running, it's still very lively, but Amir had cut off all contact with me, almost. There were times at night where I would, you know, just random, I'd get a phone call from an unknown number, and I'd pick it up really quick, and I'd just hear a breath, and I knew it was him. I knew this man's silence as well as I knew his voice. And I would say, Amir. And then he'd just hang up. I remember one day in particular, the chef had brought me pastries and a card. The card said, don't give up. And I was like, how does this guy know everything? But he must have known something. I don't... I never really asked about how they knew each other, and I don't know, maybe I should have. And Anyway, so I, I look at the box of pastries. I don't want to open them up. I had lost, like, desire to do some of my favorite things. Eating was one of them. I had to force myself to eat. I just, I was just numb. It was weird. Like, I wasn't sad. I mean, I was sad, but I wasn't, like, devastated. I just felt kind of, like, just hollow. And I didn't want to do the things that I love to do. Eating being one of them. And I remember smelling the pastries and getting an overwhelming, like, nauseating feeling. And I took them to the trash and I was going to throw them away. And I just had a peek inside. Anyway, I made my way down in the basement and I ate the entire box. And I cried the whole time. I just sat there pathetically, eating and sobbing until there was nothing left. And then I threw the box away. I don't know. It was just so weird. You know, I wasn't as emotionally volatile, excuse me, as I thought I would be. And yet, I had a voice, like a very clear voice. It was my voice in my head that would just taunt me all day long. Did you think he was going to marry you? Did you think that you deserved a guy like him? And it would call me names and I would yell back, shut up. So if I would yell out loud and I realized, you know, I can't do this around other people. Besides all that, work was going fantastically well. I just, you know, every single month, every single month since my second month at this at this gym, and it has almost been a year now. Every single month, month over month over month, I've been the top earner in the company as far as, you know, a club, a a club manager. My club is the highest-grossing club in the company and they keep raising my goal and raising my goal and raising my goal and as I used to tell like Randall and I used to tell the entire sales team like you're only as good as your last well I didn't tell them it like that but you know I was very real about them and the realities because you have to be careful getting comfortable you have to always be challenging yourself and people forget gosh I was about to learn this lesson people forget your kindness, and your value and your contributions as soon as the wind shifts. So yes, the club was doing well, but I wasn't fooled. I worked my ass off. I would constantly get emails of congratulations. I was hitting crazy bonuses. I started to, it was getting almost not too easy. However, I found that we had a system that worked and it worked so well that I could leave and everybody knew what their job was and everybody knew how to manage, you know, their own personal business in the club. It was so, it was kind of easy. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to downgrade like the amount of work that I put in every day, but things were working and it was really, really rewarding. So like I said, you're only as good as your last month. <laughs> Here we go. So I got a call from James one day. And it said, hey, call me ASAP. And I said, okay. I picked up the phone and I called him. and He said, hey, is there anything I should know? And I was like, "Um, about what? And I started to think this was about a mirror. And he said, well, okay, don't freak out. I started freaking out. Don't freak out. But a team member of yours, I can't say their name, but a team member of yours is claiming that you are sexually harassing them and following them around the club and making them feel very uncomfortable and even making sexual advances toward them. And I was like, what? who and I ran down the list of like uh, for I ran down the list of people that I work with in my head just because I was trying to match up where could I have possibly said something or done something to anybody to anybody that works with me that would make them feel uncomfortable I had managed to develop you know good working relationships I felt like with everybody that I work with without being Being too much of a friend, if you know what I mean. Because, you know, things can get messy. Um, And I thought I had the respect of everybody that was here. And I was telling James, like, James, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, this is all news to me. I have no idea. He said, listen, just tell me the truth. Tell me if, if, if anything could possibly, no matter how small, Anything possibly might be a little bit off, let me know. I'll see what I can do. And I was like, James, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I don't. The worst that I had ever done in the club (laughs) had nothing to do with anybody that I worked with, it was all about a mirror. And so I had no idea what could possibly be going on. And he said, I told James, listen, I haven't, I haven't, I don't know. I have, I didn't do anything. And I was l- almost laughing because it was just so out of nowhere. Like I, it made no sense to me. And James said, okay. And he hung up. And I was like, oh my gosh. So the next day HR comes to see me with James It was the head of our people ops, regional HR, and, um, James comes to my office and we're having this big, serious meeting. And I just keep telling them, like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, and they said, well, our investigation hasn't turned up our investigation. Our investigation hasn't turned up any sort of, um, credible evidence against you. So, We'll see what we can do. And I just, the whole time they kept asking me the same questions over and over again. And I started to have outbursts like, because I didn't do anything to anybody. And then they told me who was my, I guess, I hate to even say this, the person making the accusations. He was the guy that I worked with. He was gay. He was very um, open about his sexuality. And would often talk to me about, like, his personal life. And I would, you know, just keep things cordial. But I used to think, like, when he would tell me stories about interactions with people that he was with and people that he um, was friends with. And, like, sometimes the falling outs that he would have with his friends. I was thinking, like, yo, like, you're the one who's in the wrong. I wouldn't say that out loud. I would just think it to myself and keep it moving. And now this person was accusing me of this. And I was so, I was so outdone. I was so bothered. I could not believe, after everything, after having poured in so much of myself, so much work, that the mere inference of wrongdoing Could land me in so much trouble. I understood the purpose of what they were doing. I felt a little personally slighted by James because I felt like he did not believe me that there must be something else that's going on here. And that really hurt me. HR let HR leaves and I tell them, like, listen, I have to get out of the club. I have to, I'm taking a week off. The club will be fine. I'll work from home. I'll do the payroll the scheduling, all of that fun stuff. I'll do that from home, but I cannot be in this space right now. And they understood. And I remember packing up my stuff and walking out the door. I knew he was coming in for his shift. Here comes this guy. His name is Nathaniel or Nate. And I'm walking out and I see him. And I'm saying to myself, don't say anything. Don't say anything don't say anything. And he walks by me and he gives me the smuggest little like smirk and it set me off. I was like, do you have any, uh, let me calm down. Do you have any idea what type of trouble you're putting me in? And he just looked like, you'll manage. And he said something about my rich boyfriend is going to be paying his bills. And by this time, security had stepped in between us as I was losing my shit. I remember pointing at him and screaming. I don't remember what I was screaming. Um, but people said it was threatening. And I backed up and I took off out the door, got into my car and I started driving. I was lit. I was so, like, just ready to explode on any anything that looked at me crazy. Amir, like, really? He's blackmailing me because, or trying to extort money out of me because he thinks I have a rich boyfriend? This is why you don't mix work with pleasure. Um, and I'm driving, and I'm playing this all in my head. Like, I really just want to talk to Amir. Like, I really just want to tell him all of this stuff. He would know what to do. He would know how to handle it. He would calm me down. He would, he would fix it for me. It was already pretty way, well late into the afternoon at this point. I took off. Um, I got into my car and I started driving. It was subconscious. I wasn't planning to go there, but I needed help. I needed, I just needed somebody to... I just needed help. And before I knew it, I looked up and I was at Miguel's house. Oh, so stupid. I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know what I was thinking. I was just there. And I get out the car. And I'm like, I know I, I, know I need to stop myself. I know I have to stop myself. But I didn't. And I knocked on his door. Backed up a couple steps down his porch. And I just waited. And right before he answered, I, I I started to turn and walk away. But there he was. Tank top. Sweats. And a dish rag over his shoulder. He looked like maybe he was cooking or And I just looked at him, and he looked at me like puzzled. And I was like, hi. He said, hey, what are you doing here? And I said, I, I was just in the neighborhood. I wanted him to invite me in. Please let me come in. And I heard Jessica's voice in the background. Babe, who's that? And he said who it was. She's like, oh, she comes out. She's like, oh, it's good to see you. And I was like, hi, how are you? And, you know, we explained our, ex- exchanged our pleasantries. And Miguel was just looking at me. And I just thought, like, why can't you see me? Like, I need you. I need you. It was so stupid for me to go there. What was I expecting? I knew he couldn't do anything. Jess was still in the background. And I said, I just came to bring you this. And I reached randomly in my wallet and pulled out a $100 bill and gave it to him. As I was going back to my car, he chased me down. And he said, are you okay? I said, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. I wasn't fine. And he said, Okay well, text me when you're home safe, okay? I said, sure. I could feel myself pressing down harder on the gas pedal. And I was driving, I was driving, I was driving more towards the coast and the roads were getting windy. And I thought about James. He didn't believe me. I thought about my coworkers. some would believe me, but some would take sides in the opposite direction, I thought about Miguel, I thought about Tommy, my speed increased, I saw the bend in the road, I saw it, how easy would it have been for me to just, Suddenly, I also saw bright blue and red lights flashing behind me. I was getting pulled over. I was terrified. What was I thinking? What was I about to do? Would I have done it? The officer gets out of the car and makes his way over to me. Um, and he's like, where were you going? And I was like, nowhere. He said, you're going 90 miles an hour and you were going nowhere. Seemed like you were in a hurry to go somewhere. And I looked over at him. You know, all this time without a mirror. Not touching myself, having no desire. I thought I was just beyond it all. But I could feel my old flicker. I looked up at him and his eyes were so friendly. It was the eyes. It had to have been the eyes for me. He seemed like he really wanted to know where I was going. And bizarre as it was, I felt a little bit of happiness. He's going on and on about, you know, me being responsible maybe taking me into jail. And I'm thinking he's going to ask me to get out the vehicle. But the whole time I just scan him. Like I'm learning his body. And I start at the head. And then I fixate on his bulge. And he's like, my eyes are up here, dude. And I look back up at him and I say, I'm sorry. But my eyes go right back down. He must think I'm out of my mind. He must think I'm out of my mind. And I kind of, I mean, anyway, I'm just fixated on it. And he's like, you know what? Just drive safe. Get out of here. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I made him uncomfortable. And I the officer Jacobs. It's okay, whatever you have to do. I was being really irresponsible and I can pay the price for that. And he's like, you know what? I'll just write you a ticket, but you drive safe, okay? And I said, sure, yeah. And he starts filling out the form. He tears it off. He hands it to me. Meanwhile, like, I'm not even aware that I managed to get myself fully hard. And I am boning in my pants. And he hands me the ticket, and he looks down. And he just stares at it. He's frozen. My bulge is enormous. I'm looking at it. He's looking at it. I look back up at him. And I see him lick his lips and swallow hard. He's shaking as, he, as he's handing me this ticket. And without any other word spoken, he turns and he walks away. And I get a view of his backside. God, his legs are built like like he's stacked back there. Suddenly, my appetite is returned. I say, Officer Jacobs, and he turns. I say, follow me. I have no idea if he's going to follow me or not. I get back in the car, and I drive to a more secluded location. Oddly enough, it's pretty dang near close to where I met Adam, in the same type of area. And we get out there, and he's looking around super nervous. I'm direct. I'm calm and I seem so sure of myself. And I walk over to him and he says, I have cameras. He hands me a card and on the back has his phone number on it. I go home, I'm grossed out with myself. I feel so weird and so alone. But I take Officer Jacob's card and I call him. He's like, hey, I said, so, what are you doing? And he said, I'm actually just finishing my shift. I said, perfect. Let me come over. And he hesitates at first. And then finally he says, fuck it. And he texts me the address. I make my way over to his, his house. Um, Oddly enough, not too far from where Miguel lives. Um, I make my way over to his house. And I, co- I we, we, you know, we, ha- we make some small talk. But he's really, really nervous, like really, really nervous. And I ask him, have you ever done anything like this before with a guy? And he just shakes his head profusely. He says, no. I say, have you thought about it? He said, no. And I just kind of smile. And I say, so what do you want to do? He said, I don't know. Uh, I'm getting nowhere with this guy. And I'm like, okay, I might have to make the first move. But I say, well, why am I here? He just shrugs. I pick up his hand and I place it on my lap. And I say, it's whatever you want to do. And I can feel his body temperature changing. I can feel him heating up. And he moves up my leg, up my thigh, and he finds my bulge. And I'm growing and his breathing has increased and he looks over at me and I lean in and I kiss him. He looks to be about, I don't know, maybe, maybe late thirties, maybe late thirties, I would say. He seems very young though and I'm looking around his house and I'm seeing pictures of you know, what look like family members. I'm looking for like a possible wife, or girlfriend or anything like that, but I don't get anything like that. It just seems like a very healthy bachelor pad and we're kissing. And then when our tongues meet, like he starts to open up, we make out on his bed and I take off his pants and he's rock hard maybe about six inches, five and a half to six inches, um, decently thick, and a nice pair of balls. And I slowly work my way up the shaft and start giving him head. And he's like moaning and like kind of just like, oh my God. And talking to himself as I keep going. And I hear him say, I'm close. And I stop. And he says, let me do you. And so I stand up and he's like greedily, like taking my belt off, getting my pants down. And when, you know, it comes out, he clasps his hands over his mouth and then silently he takes one hand and wraps it around and is just staring at it. And then slowly at first, he puts his mouth on it and he starts going. I'm so relieved. That I can feel this good. It feels great. Finally he says, fuck me. And I'm like, Are you sure? And he says, Yeah. Yeah, I want to do it. I said, okay. And I put on a condom. He has lube on his on his bedstand, nightstand thingy. And I lube up. And I may, I get like an inch in. And he's making too much noise. I can tell like this is not fun for him. So I stop. I say, maybe this is a little too much, too fast. And he agrees. And I instruct him to get on all fours. And I sit him on his bed. And just seeing his body, his fur-covered body, ass in the air, really muscular. I began to work him with my fingers. And he was super, super tight. I knew that, you know, me just trying to rail him was not going to be an option. Um, I mean, when I say tight, like, it felt like he was cutting off the circulation to my fingers. And he was loving it. When I found his spot, like, he just, I didn't know he could make high-pitched noises like that. I don't think he knew he could either. And I began to work him with both hands, one on his dick. I would grab him, kind of stroke him a little bit, and use my thumb and my palm to reach up and put a little bit of pressure right underneath his balls on the tank, while my other hand worked deep inside him, stimulating his spot, and he exploded in no time. I milked him from the back, and he loved it. It was an intense orgasm. And when he came down from it, suddenly I had kind of come down too. You know, it was over, but I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to be alone. I didn't trust myself to be alone. Fortunately, he didn't run me out of his house. I slept in his bed with him in my arms, just cradling him. But really, I, I needed to be held. It was good not to be alone, though. He had an early shift the next day. He woke up early. Um, and, you know, we said we'd meet again. He said thank you to me, but I said no. The gratitude belongs to me. I didn't say it out loud, but I think he kind of saved my life. He said I've been, I just went through a really bad breakup. My girl left me. And I've just been really alone. It was so random. I didn't even know. I didn't even know if we would see each other again. I know how it is sometimes with guys like this. It's everything in the moment, and then when the moment's over, it's over, and that's okay. I felt better. I felt. I felt like my issues were tangible now they weren't larger than life I felt like I could deal with them I wished him a good day and I went back to my house my (laughs) my apartment when I went up um to the uh when I walked up to it's like a, a walk up um there's like a bottom level and then there's you walk up the stairs and there's a top level Um, I walk up there, and Junior is asleep at my doorstep. And I'm like, Junior, what are you doing here? And he said, hey, um, I heard that you were acting really weird, so I just came to check on you. I said, you've been out here all night? He said, yes. He seemed a little ticked off. I said, dude, why didn't you just call me or text me? And he said, I did. You didn't answer your phone. And you didn't respond to your text, so I came over. I said, oh, I'm sorry. Um, It was really sweet, though. And he stood up. And he said, what's going on with you? I said, I'm fine. And he just rolled his eyes and he looked at me. He said, dude. If you say I'm fine one more time, I'm going to punch you. You're going to tell me whatever is going on with you. And we're going to figure this shit out. I love this kid. (laughs) Like, I don't know. He just, he knows me. I felt... an odd, tremendous sense of joy. Because... I know that he cared about me and I knew that Miguel cared about me and I knew, I just, I just wanted to, I just felt, I felt protected. Junior said, you're going to invite me in, you're going to make me waffles and you're going to start at the beginning. And I did as I was told.